0: Over two hundred and fifty years ago, men and women began to leave England partly out of a lot of it was from persecution, King George II uh, insisted on certain ways of worship and some of them some people decided that the the new discovered land of America would be a good place to begin again. It wasn't just England. Other countries saw an exodus over here. Some came for religious freedom. Others came to start a new life, to begin again. Some came for missions, to be a missionary. Uh, John Winthrop the governor of Massachusetts, he's the first one who said that this new community of the colonists was a shining city on a hill, taking the words from uh, Jesus in Matthew 5. To this day, several states still have in their constitution certain things that flow out of that faith for example North Carolina in its constitution article 6 section 8 says the following persons shall be disqualified for office number one any person who denies the existence of almighty God in other words you can't be an atheist and hold any public office in North Carolina. In Tennessee, their constitution article 9 section 2, no person who denies the existence of god or a future state of rewards and punishments shall hold any office in the civil department of this state. In fact, at uh, in this in the early stages ministers and pastors were barred from holding political office because, and this is what they they wrote in Article 9, Section 1, ministers should not be diverted from the great duties they perform. No minister of the gospel of any denomination should be eligible to serve in either house of the legislature. Why? Because their duties, their functions were so much greater than being a state senator. So their work shouldn't be diverted to serving in a political office. This DNA was not only in North Carolina and Tennessee, but Texas, Arkansas, Pennsylvania, in Georgia, you had to be not only one who believed in God, but a, but a Christian, a, po- a Protestant Christian. In Delaware, it expressly stated, you have to believe in God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Scriptures, both Old and New Testaments. And I already mentioned uh, John Winthrop, but Thomas Hooker, founder of Connecticut, Roger Williams, founder of Rhode Island, William Penn, founder of Pennsylvania. These men were all Christians, and not only Christians, but Calvinists. <laughs> Some of you don't know what that is, but look it up. And not only Christians, but they were Capitalists. Mm -hmm. The first pilgrims who arrived in Jamestown imposed the practice of the distribution, equal distribution of wealth in that first community in 1623. But then after a year or two, they completely abandoned it. And here's what they wrote. William Bradford wrote this this communal lifestyle, this redistribution of wealth was found to breed so much confusion and discontent and even unemployment that the young men who were most able and fit for labor repined that they should spend their time and strength to work for others and they had no recompense. After every family was assigned its own parcel of land to farm, we had very good success. It made all hands industrious, much corn was planted, and one one man wrote, The following year that private property was introduced, productivity went up sevenfold. They were Christians, they were capitalists, but they were not a nation. When did we become a nation? In the 1700s, Great Britain under King George III began to tax the colonies. This was without representation. It was a tax which was at the whims of King George. They began to seize homes. This was called quartering. You could just... British soldiers could just go into a home and put the inhabitants out. The owners, they'd have to sleep in the barn or up in the attic. They would seize their property without compensation. They would seize their ships and goods and even farms. And in 1765, They began to arrest people without a warrant or due process and hold them indefinitely without reason given. And finally, in 1776, the colonists had had enough. On July 4th, they declared independence from Great Britain (laughs) King George of Great Britain wrote in his diary on that day he said well nothing much happened today (laughs) I I think sometimes there are people who feel the same way as King George it's not a big deal I think it's a big deal The founding of our nation, and what makes us unique? What would even say exceptional? What sets apart the United States of America? And I'll just give you three quick things this morning. As you ponder uh, this weekend. Uh, and think about it. Uh, for one thing, what sets America apart as different is our founding fathers were men who had faith in God. The first constitutional assembly where they met to compose the Constitution was made up of 54 men, 52 of them were professed Christians. The two that weren't was Thomas Jefferson and Benjamin Franklin. They were deists. Simply means they weren't atheists, but they weren't Christians. But they weren't skeptics and unbelievers either. Um, Benjamin Franklin wrote, if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without the Heavenly Father knowing it, then we certainly cannot build an empire without divine aid. Because, he said, and he quoted Psalm 127, unless the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. That's from Benjamin Franklin. (laughs) He had more faith than some of the people today who say they have faith. But what sets us apart is the faith of our fathers. In the War of 1812, British ships were bombarding the city of Baltimore, 19 of them. They were bombarding them with cannonballs and rockets. On board was a young lawyer who had been kidnapped named Francis Scott Key. He saw the whole thing. He said there was this heavy soaking thunderstorm that came in and just made all of Baltimore soft and muddy. And uh, many of the cannonballs did explode, but he said a large majority of them, instead of exploding, would hit the ground and just be absorbed into the soggy soil. And so the next morning, as he looked and the fog lifted, he saw the flag still flying. And you know the the song, Oh Say Can You See by the dawn's early light What so proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming. That's when he wrote that hymn, that song. Most do not know the last stanza. Thus be it ever when free men will stand between loved homes and war's desolation. Blessed with victory and peace, may the heaven-rescued land praise the power that made and preserved us a nation. Then conquer we must when our cause is really just. Let this be our motto. In God do we trust. And the star-spangled banner in triumph shall wave or the land of the free and the home of the brave. This phrase, let this be our motto, in God do we trust, this was picked up by an act of Congress in 1865 and placed on all of our nation's coins and bills I, <laughs> I had to check this out yesterday I got a penny, it's on the penny God we trust a nickel, it's on the nickel a quarter, it's on the quarter a dime and I had to look close on the dime I, I had to get a magnifying glass for the dime, but it's on there In God do we trust. It's on every dollar bill, every $5 bill, every $10 bill, every $50 bill. This is the DNA of our nation. This is where we came from, the founding fathers. In God do we trust was the last act of Congress signed by President Abraham Lincoln. It is inscribed just above the rostrum of the Speaker's Chamber in the House of Representatives. Do we have that on the screen? Can you pull that up? The Speaker's Chamber, if if you can see, there's a little red arrow. If you can picture Nancy Pelosi standing there and just above her head in God we trust. <laughs> our, the faith of our founding fathers makes us an exceptional nation. It's in our DNA, and you still see something of it to this day. Also, what makes us an exceptional country is the founding documents our Constitution, our Bill of Rights. The second paragraph of the United States Declaration of Independence starts like this. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. They didn't evolve. They are created equal and are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. You can't take them away. The entire government system of our United States is based on the theology and the view, worldview that men are sinful in nature, have sinful nature. So you don't put all power into the hands of one man, a king. You don't put all the power into the hands of one group, an oligarchy. You don't put all the power into the hands of the, of the majority, the mob. But you balance it threefold. And they looked in Scripture and found that God acts in a threefold way. Look at Isaiah 33, 22. The Lord is our judge. They said that will be the judicial branch. The Lord is our lawgiver. That's the legislative branch. They make the laws. And the Lord is our king. That's the executive branch. And the Lord will save us. Through those three branches of government, God comes to save and salvage and rescue us. Not in, he didn't give all authority into one section, but He balanced it to save us from tyranny, and mob rule and he gave us a republic and a constitution what sets us apart is our founding documents are based on the biblical views of God and man one other thing I think that gives us a certain exceptionalism and that is the wonderful interventions of God throughout history. These are often in answer to prayer. General George Washington commanded a day of prayer. Now, Washington was unique in himself. He was like a a Churchill in World War II or a Zelensky today in Ukraine. Washington was worth and valuable to the nation in its origins, God raised him up. Washington commanded, in May fifteenth, seventeen seventy-six, to. And here's a, here's what he quote. I will quote quote him here. He to supplicate the mercy of Almighty God that He would pardon our many sins and prosper our armies, so that we might put peace and freedom on a firm foundation. What preceded the Revolutionary War in July 4th weekend was a day of prayer led by George Washington. A few weeks later, 10,000 British troops invaded New York City. It turned out to be the first and largest battle of the war. Washington seemed to be overwhelmed. He retreated to what is now known as Brooklyn Heights. They were, Washington's army was totally surrounded with the Eastern River right in front of him. The only chance he had, as he understood it, was to get his army out overnight in boats, across that river and go into Manhattan. they would ferry the entire army across the river. A slow and arduous process. And when the sun began to rise, they would be in full view of the the armies of General Howe and the British soldiers, and they could have picked them off easily. But when the sun began to rise, at the same time, a phenomenal thing happened. A dense fog came in over the river and enveloped Washington's army. And what was amazing was even when the sun came up, the fog remained. That never happens. When the sun comes up, fog lifts. It dissipates. But when the last boat had crossed the river and the evacuation was complete, Washington was in the final boat. When the evacuation was complete and they had all escaped, then the fog lifted. Washington's army would never again be trapped And if they had won, if they had been able to capture Washington and his army right there, the war would have been over hardly before it had begun. Washington wrote later, he said, The hand of God has been so conspicuous during this war that one must be worse than an infidel to not believe but there will be time enough for me to be a preacher once my appointment expires. He said, He said, after I'm done being a soldier, then I'm going to be a preacher. I'm going to tell people all of the things that God has done during this time. One time he came out of a battle, he had four bullet holes in his coat and not a scratch on his person. On another occasion, Benedict Arnold was going to betray Washington and the entire fort of West Point into the hands of the British. But they discovered a courier who had the plans. He was on his way to deliver those plans. And the time when Washington would be there, and they, they said they were suspicious. They met, found this guy and they said, "Where you headed? And he told them why. They searched him, Nothing. Searched him again. One soldier then said, "What about his boots? Check his boots." And there there was the plans to capture Washington and to capture the fort, all at the same time. But it was discovered. Psalm 35 was a favorite psalm of many of the early fathers of, of this country. Psalm 35, 1, Contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight those who fight against me. Psalm 35, 4, Let them be put to shame and dishonor who seek my life. Let them be turned back and disappointed who devise evil against me. And it was so. This was a prayer they prayed and God answered. So just two or three things real quick. Independence Day is not independence from God. It was an independence from Great Britain and from tyranny and from abuse. Almost like somebody breaking in your house. You need independence from that imposition. So when we have Independence Day, it's not freedom to do whatever you want. This is freedom to seek the Lord and seek God and worship Him and praise Him. Also, I think there should be an appreciation for those who've gone before us. I think honor is fine and good and appropriate for many of our fathers of the faith. Some of them died for us. So I don't think we should tear down their statues. And third, we should remember what Paul wrote in Acts 17, verse 26. God has made all nations from one man, Adam. He determined when they would live, their allotted times, and where they would live, the place of their dwelling. God determined that. When you would live, where you would live, And then notice why you would live, that they would seek the Lord. God could have put you in Iran. He could have put you in North Korea. He could have put you in communist China. He put you in in America, the land of the free and the home of the brave. So as we declare our joy at having a weekend off, and having, living in a country like we do, let's remember God gave it to us so we would be free to worship Him and know His Word and follow Him with all of our hearts. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we bow humbly before You in Your sovereignty and providence you have permitted us to be here in this land of the free and home of the brave. May we use it, be good stewards of our freedom to seek your face and to know your will and to love and worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Ushers, you come and let's receive our Sunday morning offering as we worship with our giving.